0: Hey, partner, and welcome to Tom Hanks Giving, the only Tom Hanks podcast worth its weight in gold. Oscar gold, that is. I'm your host, Elvis Kunish, and today we are talking about Road to Perdition. I know uh, last week we said we were going to do The Great Buck Howard, but there's been a slight mix up in the schedule. I'll explain why in a moment. Hopefully, this doesn't upset you. Hopefully, you saw the tweet. So come back for Great Buck Howard next week, but today we're talking about Road to Perdition, 2002, directed by Sam Mendes, written by David Self, uh, based on a graphic novel of the same name by Max Allen Collins, which was loosely based off of manga, Lone Wolf and Cub. And uh, I'm very excited today because I have a special guest uh, in the studio, Mr. Henry Lovner. How you doing? Thanks I'm, for having me. I'm doing great. It's great to have you here. Uh, this is very exciting. Uh, and uh, why don't you tell us things a little bit why you're on the show today? You've got uh, a very exciting project to plug? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, so, uh, Elvis and I know each other from uh, BuzzFeed. Uh, I... I'm a video producer there, and just finished a little video. Um, I say it's a little video; it's actually very long for a Buzzfeed video. It's, <laughs> yeah, like, it's like the longest long. video,
0: Buzzfeed video ever.
1: Uh, yeah, it's really it's 15 minutes long, which is for a Buzzfeed video is very long. Um, which is it's really just a vehicle for Tom Thanksgiving, actually, since Thanksgiving <laughs> is very prominently featured in the video, and it's my it's my favorite part of the video. But um, yeah, it's a video with with uh, Will Neff and Kelsey Dara, um, and it's called uh, "When You're in a Relate." When was it? When you're in? When you're ah? When you're a when couple you with trust issues. Trust issues. Yeah. 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 When you're a couple with trust issues. There like there were like three or four different titles. There I always are in Buzzfeed videos. <laughs> you never. You don't even know. The weird thing about Buzzfeed videos is that you literally do not know what the title of your video will be until like the day it comes out because <laughs> it has an algorithm that chooses it or whatever. So it's you give them like
0: four options. But, yeah. What did you call it? What was your, your pet name for it? I just called it Trust Issues. Um, That's a better title. Yeah. I know it's not like, it's not searchable. It's so. not viral.
1: And, like, yeah. Trust Issues is vague. It could be about, like, you know, maybe it's, like, uh, a few good men or something. You don't know <laughs> what, the, what the video is about. When you're a couple of Trust Issues, it's a little, a little clearer. I don't really know that it's going to perform all that well, to be honest, because it's so long.
0: All the comments are like, why the fuck is this so long? Uh, but <laughs> but it's, a, it's a very different audience. But I, I, I gotta say, I, I, as uh, I've seen many Buzzfeed videos in my time, this is one of my absolute favorites. Ah, oh, thank you. That's and I'm not good. even saying that just for the Tom Hanks giving plug uh, <laughs> and the cameo in there. Yeah, it's, but it's, uh, no, it's 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 very well shot. You've got, uh, you pull out great performances out of everybody, and like even the casting, you got fucking Ricky in there. Oh yeah. And you just Ricky know how is. to make Ricky do his great thing. Uh, yeah. I just yeah, it was a, it was a complete. Complete joy to watch. Yeah. And, uh, well, Ricky's uh,
1: Ricky is a delight. There's there, there's some things Ricky can do exceptionally well, like be the um, whole his whole thing in this, which is funny, is like his whole mo is like trying to get an apology, basically. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny for Ricky because Ricky's so nice, he like can't, he doesn't want conflict, and in real life. So I basically just you, you know he's just kind of playing himself, which is fun. So yeah. Um, but and, um, did
0: a job. the only other uh, the, the other interesting thing about uh, Ricky Sands is he's the only person I've met who's been like oh, Tom Hanks is overrated so he's actually an <laughs> enemy of this show and That's I gotta really try and get funny. him on at some point that, he, what movie is he gonna talk about? I don't know but like it was the first we were on a shoot for the Try Guys and uh, we uh, he was driving and I just <laughs> mentioned so I, I have a Tom Hanks weird. podcast he's like you know he's kind of overrated don't you think and That's we just argued so the whole time funny. Oh my god.
1: It's uh, weird yeah. to say Tom Hanks is overrated because. I, like, it's what like is- saying
0: pizza is overrated. <laughs> Tom Hanks is the is the oh, pizza of like, actors. Or maybe ice cream is overrated. I, I just don't even know, like, how many Oscars has Tom Hanks won? Two. He's been nominated for more, but yeah, he's I won mean, two. Yeah, I mean, I
1: feel like that is very reasonable for how many mo- huge movies he's been in. Absolutely. I mean, he, and then um,
0: I think he's done better performances than the movies he's won Oscars for, and particularly one of the ones we've done today. Also, like, if you consider compare him to somebody like Meryl Streep, who's obviously very
1: talented, yes. but uh, yet has been, like, the Academy loves her, right? Like, she's won I don't know how many times. And there are so many, I mean, I, I, to call him overrated doesn't seem, just doesn't seem fair or accurate to me. But, I mean, uh, you know, Ricky's entitled to his opinion. I don't know who his favorite actors are, but does he have a podcast? Ricky, I don't think he does have a podcast. He seems like he'd be a podcast guy.
0: He, I know, I mean, he'd be great. I'd love to get him on the show and have uh, his dissenting opinion. There's a big tangent about Ricky says. No,
1: I mean, he's des- he is deserving of a is, he tangent. He is, he is. is a man, a, he's a very mysterious guy, I think.
0: Yes, uh, and of course, uh, just a quick jump back to v- your video. I love every appearance by Creepy Charles. Oh, thank You're you. You're fantastic. Uh, well, I'm, I'm really good
1: at acting in roles where
0: I don't have to speak. <laughs>
1: as long as I don't open my mouth, I can be very convincing. So
0: Yes, uh, I still remember you uh, as the magician in Joe's video. <laughs> Amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, all those characters, none of them speak. I think he
0: says hello. I, think he <laughs> might,
1: say, I might have squeezed out a hello in that one. I'm not sure.
0: That's great. Even if you did, like, you couldn't notice it just based on the whole <laughs> shazam of your
1: performance. I don't know.
0: I think I think people watching that video
1: liked my dance moves, and then the moment I said hello, they were like, I'm not convinced.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you really meant that hello. I don't buy his character anymore. Oh, man. Well, if you want to see uh, Henry plays Creepy Charles, check out uh, the video. God damn, I got to look at the title again. <laughs> <laughs> when you're a couple when, with trust, when you're a couple with trust issues on BuzzFeed Yellow at YouTube, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. I'll tweet oh, it out nice. all over the place. Sweet. Uh, it's great and uh, if you want to see a world, a universe in which Tom Hanks giving is the most popular podcast. <laughs> check it out. Oh man,
1: that was a delight. That that was not that was somewhat premeditated. Yeah, I guess I kind of knew going into it that we were going to do that. But uh the fact that it's you and D'Artagnan. Too. <laughs> I
0: know. And I, I don't think. I... Have you talked to him about it
1: being in there? Because I, I haven't told
0: him it's going to be in there. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. The idea that maybe he organically f- realizes, <laughs> finds out that that. <laughs> Like no one tells him, he just is watching it, and he suddenly <laughs> hears his voice talking about Daryl Hannah's vagina. <laughs> it's so it really tickles me. All right, if I, since that is your wish, I won't mention that he's in this. Yeah, but the thing is, then I, I, if he's going to find it organically, maybe we need to like ar- arrange things so he will watch it somehow. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how we could do that. Well, Probably.
0: We'll make it happen.
1: Because otherwise, it could be years like, <laughs> before he stumbles upon this.
0: But he will, because this is going to this is going to big get big. I don't think this is. Good. <laughs> it's long. Well, let's, <laughs> it's let's transition long. to something that's it's gonna get even bigger and even it is even longer. Uh, let's talk about Road to Perdition. Road to Perdition. <laughs> um, why, uh, why Road to Perdition? Why is this the, your choice? Uh, Road to
1: Perdition is it? I I, I don't know if it's fair. Yeah, it's like was was one of my favorite movies when I was. Let's see, it came out in two thousand three. Two thousand two. So. 2002 so i would have been 13 or 14 um, so yeah when it came out I'm i worried was worried about, uh, about the this age movie. of the
0: the boy in the film too yes
1: yes i related more to the tom hanks character right? <laughs> <laughs> i always do <laughs> the father he's so relatable <laughs> uh, yeah no i i was all about this movie for for whatever reason i associate this movie with the movie minority report and maybe they came out in the same summer or something i just hmm. remember for whatever reason i associate this to. but uh, nonetheless um it's just a, it's a fantastic movie it's um uh it has uh it's extremely well shot which is not something that i really considered uh until i rewatched it uh today actually yeah uh and i had always taken that for granted but it is so such a beautiful movie um
0: every dp i know like everybody like matt miller at buzzfeed and everything like this is like their favorite movie.
1: Yeah, it's no, so
0: beautiful. It's incredible,
1: and it's um, it's also very. I think the part of the reason I didn't r- realize that how beautiful it was before is, um, it's very sort of uninflected in a way, and what I mean by that is like you don't notice a lot of the, um, you don't notice the the camera movements. They feel very natural. They don't take away and distract from the story and and the character. I think it like. Um, you know, there are, there are movies, sometimes you'll watch a movie where there's a a camera movement or a zoom or a a whatever, or, or a lighting effect that like is clearly just meant to be pretty and, and can be distracting. Perhaps it's deliberately distracting so Mm -hmm. you don't realize that like the story isn't
0: working or the performances aren't working. But in this case, it's like everything is in service of the story. Yeah. It doesn't call attention to itself. And I think, uh, linking it with minority report makes sense too, because Spielberg is a master of that invisible filmmaking too yeah that's an interesting and, point. Uh, <laughs> they, he has those the like and I noticed in here I was paying attention to the shots with the camera movement uh, and yeah, it's almost always following action and Spielberg is really good at that too
1: yeah I mean there's only there are only a couple of moments <clears throat> where you really notice it. Uh, there's the um, push zoom. Or the pu- what is it? It's called push zoom. Is that? I forget what that. Oh, uh, the is vertigo
0: called. shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: underneath yeah, yeah, yeah. the the train? Alter- yeah. yeah, yeah. But like no, that's, that's cool.
0: again, it's calling attention to itself for a reason. Because the, yeah. it's
1: introducing Jude Law's character as someone who's like an other. Such a so so fantastic. Oh my god. Um and uh, that and like I'm trying to think of some of the other instances. Um but
0: yeah it's a, it's a fantastic movie. Um, and you said one. It was one of your favorites. Has there just been better movies that you've seen since then, or has it fallen out of grace for any reason? Um, I mean, I haven't watched it in a while, so rewatching it was. I, I'm I'm excited
1: about it again. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of thinking about the movie a little bit, um, a little bit more, having rewatched it, I'm less excited than I once was. I think that, and I actually was like doing a little bit of research into the movie and reading about it. I think, it yes, it is a beautiful movie, and I really do love Sam Mendes. Like, American Beauty's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting to hear that this is, like, based off of a graphic novel, which I hadn't realized um, until recently.
0: What, uh, what would you...
1: In the briefest version of this story, what would you say it's about? Uh, I mean, it's about a mob enforcer. Uh, he's, like, a hitman who... Um, it's uh, played by
0: Tom Hanks. Played by
1: Tom Hanks in, um, It was like, 1931. Mm-hmm. He works
0: for, uh, m- what's it, Mooney? Mooney? John Rooney. Mooney. Rooney. Mooney. Paul Newman's character. Paul in Mooney. his last on-screen acting role. Really? is yeah. his last movie? That's I, yeah, I think he did some voice work after this, but this was his uh, last okay. appearance. So uh, this this mom boss
1: um, with whom he has like this very, very close relationship, that Paul, Paul Newman is basically a father figure to him. And uh, he has a sort of a rivalry with Paul Newman's son, played by Daniel Craig, is a fantastic role.
0: Everybody's in this movie, when I was watching the opening credits mm, so like, good. "Fuck Tom Hanks, of course I knew J- Jennifer Jason Lee. Daniel Craig, Paul Newman, and it's also even the tooch is in this movie. I
1: know the tooch and I saw as... and it's a subtle, <laughs> small. It's a small role, very sp- it's not, not like, character, a, like not like the Terminal at all. <laughs> very different from the Terminal. <laughs> In any case, um, yeah so so uh, he has a rivalry with Daniel Craig, who's jealous of um, the fact that his father clearly favors Tom Hanks um, so Daniel Craig uh, arranges for Tom Hanks's murder um, and uh, in so doing uh, kills his uh, wife and one of one of his two sons so Thomas Hanks Tom Hanks and his uh, his other remaining son uh, kind of go out on the lamb and um, decide they're going to uh, avenge the death of uh, the mother and son by killing Daniel Craig's character.
0: There's a lot of bank robbing in the middle too. A lot of
1: bank robbing. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fun and games. Yeah. But ultimately, uh, it's a revenge. I mean, it's a revenge movie. It I is think. a vengeance movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just uh, cool. Um, not something you see from Hanks usually. No, no, <laughs> uh, that's true. I mean, it 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 was. It's a very unique role for him in some ways. I think. Man, we're, there's so many. There's so many things to talk about. Yeah. I think there are a lot of also parallels in terms of the character between that
0: of um, of uh, Sullivan. What's his name, Sullivan? Michael Sullivan. Michael yeah. Sullivan, and annex's character in Saving Private Ryan. You're saying that you're drawing a comparison between. Uh, John Miller his performance in saving Private Ryan and here Yeah
1: well just in the sense that uh, like to the extent to which these two guys like have compartmentalized their their home and family life with their uh, their career as a as a highly effective killer right I mean the yeah. Miller is it Miller Yeah the Miller character is an exceptional soldier right and and he refuses to talk about his family life when he's basically at work when he's at war because he tries to keep those two things distinct and um and there is a sense that, um, much like Tom Hanks' character in uh, in um, Road, to Perdition? Road to Perdition, that movie that I just watched, <laughs> uh, in Road to Perdition, you know, he's somebody who's, who is a war hero, right? He's come back after World War One, is now lethal, and needs to make money for his family, so he gets work as a contract killer. I think the parallel is that, like... The, the worry is for a guy like Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan that he'll come home from World War II and like he'll his identity will still be that of a soldier as someone who's basically who's a killer in some respects. Right? Yeah, he'll
0: have lost his humanity. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. And in this movie, he basically has already accepted that there's a whole scene in the basement of the church with Paul Newman where he's like, they're all going to go to hell, but he can still save his son is his point of view. That's yeah. his goal. Uh, and I think it's interesting, yeah, the, his... His work in this movie and that compartmentalizing, I think you can see it. I'm going to pull out two scenes. Um, the first scene where we first see him where he gets back from a, from a job and he's uh, dressing for dinner. And we see uh, his son, also Michael, Michael Jr., uh, spying on him and kind of sees the gun. And he's super intimidating and he's just like... Uh, gigantic. This gigantic. The, the kid calls him sir and he's like, I'll be down. And he's like completely curt with this kid. But then the moment when they're at the funeral for Danny, which I realize is probably a guy he killed. <laughs> could be. Yeah, yeah could be. Uh, he, But, like, just the moment where he's there with his the son and he explains why the ice is there. It's like, that, that for me was, like, yeah. a great little writing and performing scene because there's no asking about the ice. It's all visual. He's just paying attention to it. And then it's like he's trying to be that family man with his son. Well, you know... That's what I think. This movie, what makes this
1: movie exceptional, is the the use of exposition is very subtle. A, a great example of this is the, the brother of the guy who's just been killed at the wake. Oh, the, the
0: the Finn McGovern. Finn, man, your remember this is so good. I just Finn watched McGovern this morning. Right. Well, as did I?
1: <laughs> my brain's a piece of shit. So Finn McGovern. So. You know Paul Newman's station in the town and um, and his significance because Finn McGovern basically accuses him during this little spiel mm-hmm. at at, um, at the wake of being you know people treat you like a god in this town. It's delivered as an accusation and as a criticism, but which which distracts you from the fact that it's also narrative exposition. Right? Yeah, this is who this character is and this is his standing in the community, um, and that's what the movie does so well. Like. Things are communicated visually, or if they
0: are communicated in dialogue, it's it's done very subtly and, and with a lot of craft. And it's 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 still done within generally speaking character action. So it's yeah. not even really exposition of it. It's yeah, something you yeah. would say. And even like little bits of world building, I love like that. You didn't need uh, when he's first leaving the town, and uh, he gives his uh, his son the gun, and he's still in the car, and he's like, if you don't hear back from me in like six minutes, go to the church. But uh, don't go to Father Calloway. Right. It's like, because obviously there's a corrupt uh, father there, but. Well, there was something interesting.
1: Um, what it, he, he says, um, go to the meth. He says, I'm going to go to the Methodist church, yeah. not to the, not to Father Calloway. Which is
0: probably obviously their church. Right.
1: Yeah. But that means, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't have the, I didn't like take the time to really unpack what the significance of that was. Um, but you mentioned that thing about the ice at the uh, the Mm -hmm. wake I did a little I was like reading about this movie and apparently this was a deliberate decision by Sam Mendes after having researched um, researched uh, that they would use ice to preserve the body at a wake Mm -hmm. that um, if you look closely like almost all of the major uh, uh, like murder or confrontation scenes in the movie basically death is always accompanied with uh, water yes I mean, did you, did you notice it? I did notice, that I did notice, yeah, it's it, insane. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere, I didn't, I had never put that together either, like, number of, um, like, I, I guess we can give away spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah, I, if you
0: haven't too. seen this movie, you know, I say this every podcast, you've done it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to it afterward, but yeah, everybody dies in this movie. Yeah, every, uh, yeah, every um, Except for, like, three people Yeah. the dog. They of, didn't kill the dog. Pretty much
1: all the monsters died, Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Daniel Craig is killed in the bathtub. Uh, Great pop- shot. E- e- beautiful. Yeah, so well done. You see it through the reflection of a mirror, too, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we're seeing people killed, it's either through a reflection or it's we just see the uh, another
0: person, the, an observer's response, visual response to that, to the, to the murder. So we don't this, actually the, Yeah, see the The scene in which he Daniel Craig kills the family and yeah when the scene where uh, or the sun yeah the sun goes before he gets there the sun goes upstairs and you just hear the shower drain dripping as he walks in you don't see the bodies there's no shot and then when yeah he goes upstairs we stay on the sun oh it's
1: such a powerful moment it's so good it's way better than if he had followed yeah
0: I mean hearing Tom Hanks howling upstairs because if the if you watch that it's so. It so quickly becomes big, can become over the top, it, exactly. Well, because it's it be off screen, a, yeah. f- it really hurts. And then you cut immediately to his like five minutes later grief in yeah. the hallway, and, and at that, and that point works so well. Tom,
1: and Tom Hanks shakes it off so quickly too, because the character is just like hard as a coffin nail, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, although the, the, several of the um, murder scenes happen uh, during heavy rainstorms,
0: Tom Hanks, of course, they get you know he dies at the end at at a beachfront, yeah. Um, even the movie starts with the the sound of the waves.
1: Yeah. So it's kind yeah, of yeah,
0: yeah. <clears throat> uh, sandwiched in there the setting, with uh, with this scene, water. Yeah. I love the sound design of this film. Yeah. And it's not something I'm, like, super well-equipped to talk about, but if you listen to I think if you just listen to this movie, and we're talking about how much visual storytelling there is going on, I think you could just listen to this movie and get a lot out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, the use of sound,
1: when, when they choose to... Um, uh, use silence as well, the, particularly when the the Rooney the Paul Newman character is killed at Holy the end. There's a, there's a silent uh, action sequence where Tom Hanks is shooting all of his bodyguards, and there's not a sound.
0: And then we only hear the sound of his gun when he shoots Paul Newman. Because that's the that's the shot that affects him. Yeah, that's the one that he doesn't care. The other guys are faceless goons, but he's killing his own father essentially. In that yeah. scene. That's that's so it's almost it's painful for him too, and the, yeah. this. An insane punctuation of that scene. Bystanders are
1: all watching through the windows. That was haunting. I was like, "Holy fuck!" Kitty Genovese or something. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, beautiful movie. Uh, Is this the
0: part we're supposed to criticize now? (laughs) Nah, it it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Just to to jump off the. Actually, that that moment where everybody's looking down um, from the windows. This movie. There's something about the visual look, besides the way it's just beautiful, that I was noticing when I was watching it, and it's that so many of the shots are against a flat plane of background, but still have a depth, because of either frames within frames, or just really strong use of, I guess, character movement, mm. but, like, so often, there it's not like shot where there's, like, a, a vanishing point in the distance, it's, like, a just a... Portrait. Uh, frames within
1: Frames is a really good way of putting it. I, there are a lot of instances where, where we will see characters um, and the action play out through a door frame or through a window.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, uh, you know, particularly through some of the montages. Like, there's a scene where Tom Hanks is jumping in the car that his son's driving. It's part of the montage. <laughs> yeah. And the son, like, kind of like doesn't stop at the right spot, right? <laughs> and that all plays out through a window. And, um, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, I, I hadn't realized that. You know, um, what's his name? Conrad?
0: Conrad uh, L. Hall, yeah, who, who had won, he won uh, posthumously, won an Academy Award for this movie, which uh, for the cinematography. Well, this it certainly deserved it. Yeah, they were kind of going for like uh, Edward Hopper style, which uh, he did the Nighthawks painting. And oh yeah. yeah when yeah. you mentioned yeah. the windows, it was like that looks exactly like that Nighthawks.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, window. a lot of the, also like the lighting, the lighting for the movie, I really noticed like heavy use of uh, you know you would have these little incandescent like yellow incandescent bulbs indoors but most of your your light was like your key light was just coming through blasting through the windows Mm -hmm. um this really soft gray winter light um so you always felt like you were in this kind of like dark, cavernous indoor space with light coming in from the outside. Or and yeah, you you could really see you know the last scene uh, when they're on the beach is the first time you really see like yeah. green like green, really colorful. Um, it's like the first time you ever really see that, and then and then immediately goes back inside the house where it's just blank white. Right? Yeah,
0: and uh, he's trapped. Um, that sh- oh my god, talk about just beautiful shots when he gets killed. Yeah, it really. Is. You see the reflect. You can see the sun reaction, and you see Jude Law's reveal. This movie's so good like I knew that was coming and I forgot about Jude Law. (laughs) Yeah. And oh geez he looked disgusting
1: in this movie. Yeah. He really did. I mean you could even tell his fake teeth Mm-hmm. Uh, he sometimes had a little bit of trouble talking. I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed it in the diner scene. Like he was kind of just like like really like struggling to get the words out because he has this that's funny. I didn't thick, notice that. Uh,
0: yellow like fucked up teeth. I imagine they were fake. I didn't think they were true Jude Law.
1: Well, they really they also were very loyal to. Um, you, there were so many little details about his character, like the fact that how much sugar he put in his coffee was like, yeah, he has fucking bad teeth. <laughs> it's uh, insane. I don't have that bad of teeth. Yeah, me too, dude. I had a I had a fucking horchata coffee yesterday, with more sugar than I it's like a milkshake. <laughs> anyway, um, did you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Uh, the movie I've seen. I, oh I am very sorry to see say <laughs> that movie. I've never seen the TV show, which is a shame because I I know it's um, uh, what's his face. Um, uh, the director, um,
0: Whedon. Whedon, Whedon, yeah,
1: and I know it's supposed to be fantastic,
0: it's, it's wonderful. Um, sadly, no Tom Hanks, but uh, I gotta say, just as, as a big fan of Buffy, um, uh, the actor who played uh, Mayor Wilkins from the amazing season three in Buffy, Harry Grainer is uh, the is excellent as this bit part as one of the bankers in the movie. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, he gets robbed, but he's the first guy who gets robbed by Tom Hanks. Oh, he's delightful. What does he
1: say? Does he say anything to Tom Hanks?
0: Yeah, they speak. It's uh, basically he's like, it's Capone's money. Is yeah, he, does he's, he say that. Do you know who you're robbing? Or yeah, like that? He, you know who you're robbing, and then he gives him the money and yeah. to stay kind of quiet. Interesting. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then uh, when uh, James Marsters of Spike fame from the show showed up to be in a Buzzfeed video, I asked him what his favorite Tom Hanks movie was, and he said it was *Road to Perdition*. Oh, so cool. Boom. Uh, that's interesting was there a reason why you asked,
1: you just asked him because was it like was there any lead up to that where you'd be like hey what's your favorite Tom Hanks movie <laughs>
0: well, I just making a point of asking celebrities their favorite Tom Hanks movies <laughs> um, but uh, what, what
1: what anything catchy up on that movie where you're like ah,
0: oh, uh, not for me <laughs> I mean I could go on and on I do want to talk about some, uh, some more fun stuff uh, specifically how funny the movie gets in the middle um, this is some good comedy, dude. It's insane in how there's almost this impetus for working directors today where it's like we have to maintain a tone. Mm. But you don't. If you're good, you can kind of jump around in your tone. Because the tone of your movie. I mean, I don't want to de- declare a rule, but I believe that the tone of your movie should reflect what the characters are going through yeah, in, I mean, in the moment. Yeah, I mean, life does not that's have why, one tone. That's why I love uh, Edgar Wright films, because, like, mm. the stylization of the whole movie is coming out of what the character's point of view is in that moment. Yeah. Um, and, obviously, it's not this that stylized in this movie, but when, yeah, he's teaching his son to drive and they're getting on these capers, it's just fucking fun. And, yeah. and uh... You really need that though, because I think in order to demonstrate like the the
1: emotional bond that they're developing, because they really they're kind of strangers when the movie begins. Yeah, and he doesn't even know like what
0: you, he's like. What are you interested in? You know? Yeah. What do you like? Yeah. Do they do like. talk about that.
1: Like in order to demonstrate that, you just need c- conflict, like a little bit of conflict-free <laughs> like moments of levity, where it's just fun. You know, mm-hmm. for the two characters to
0: just to just be. And um, you really get to see these these two as father and son, like yeah without the crazy circumstance there. And I just love that, that whole scene. I mean, it, it's a great piece of a whole, I, I'm just raving about this movie. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you wanted to jump to criticisms. So no, I, no, I, we I don't have to. Know. That seems so
1: negative. You're like, all right, <laughs> I have, I'll uh, that out of the way. No, no, um, but I don't know. I mean, there are parts of the movie that, uh, still feel. So here's something interesting. Here's one observation that I made, uh, about the movie is it opens much in the same way that American Beauty does. It opens by telling you that the protagonist of the movie is going to die. Yes. There are a lot of parallels between this. Yeah. And yeah, actually, I did want to talk about that specifically. I think that um, I was reading, I actually, I'll I'll, I'll have to cite this source because it's not a completely original idea, but I was reading a review of the movie by Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert, and he was talking about, um, he was comparing it to The Godfather, and he made this point that, he thought that this movie felt more like a Greek tragedy, um, in comparison to say, you know, Shakespearean tragedy or The Godfather where the con- the, the, the ending felt inevitable. It felt inevitable that um, Tom Hanks was going to die, but mm-hmm. that he was going to get his revenge, but in so doing was going to die. Yeah. Um, and you really know that the you, you pretty much know that the son is going to survive, right? Um, And how it felt kind of divorced from choice, and uh, it felt as though Tom Hanks' character um, was so... Was so hell bent on getting his revenge because we understood it to be his wife, and yet we never really. This is something more of what I observed is that we never really full like appreciated his relationship with his wife. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee, who's a great actress, is does nothing in this movie. Yeah, I mean, or or his other son who gets killed. I mean, like, it's he's good at maths. Uh, yeah, he's good at maths. I mean, he's very <laughs> good at maths. But 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 the, but the fact remains, like, I, you, you get really far on the audience's appreciation of like, okay. Like, son and wife, we know what that means for them to get killed. This is a just cause for him to now go and try to kill Daniel Craig, at potentially at risk to his own son. Really, in the best interest of his son, he should just leave. Right? Exactly. Like, and, <laughs> he's he's
0: give, and he's given every opportunity to walk away and, like, meet, Paul Newman loves this guy Yeah. and is willing to, like, if you just leave, I'm, we're not going to come after you. The yeah. Stanley Tucci's character is willing to protect him as long as... Doesn't go after Daniel Craig, yeah, uh, and it's really condemning, and, and I like how it's so condemning of the path of vengeance because it is, it, it, yeah. It I is. mean, it glorifies it in a certain way, but it's he, tough
1: because I, I feel like it doesn't properly frame the moral dilemma of Tom Hanks's moral dilemma of if I seek vengeance, I jeopardize the life of my son mm-hmm. it, it, it really it seemed to be the lesson that you know tom hanks in seeking vengeance uh like had to sacrifice his own life right i don't think that the movie ever really took into full account that tom hanks was risking his son's life like they, he was bringing into gun basically into gunfights
0: yeah over and over again <laughs> i mean he was, he was making him a criminal even on the smallest scale with the bank robbery yeah there wasn't a lot of cost that he could have lost more Right. I mean, I think I mean it, actually, and I wonder now now just surface level thinking about it, should it have been his son that got shot when they were in the farm sequence so he could have dealt with that? Yeah,
1: I think it probably should have, right? Because what what kept getting thrown into Tom Hanks's way were not moral challenges for the most part, but rather li- like li- like practical challenges. Yeah, like, oh, I've been shot, I need to recuperate so I can rethink my strategy. On how to kill Daniel Craig, right? Mm-hmm. He just was hit with these all of these obstacles uh, to his to his strategy, to his mission. but rarely was he faced with these fundamental moral decisions and it was it was sort of a disappointment because I think like if they had really um uh you know explored his relationship with Jennifer Jason Lee and his other son, then we would have had more empathy for um his loss. and therefore, when it came time for him to decide between vengeance and potentially risking and and you know, Preserving his son's life, or or really looking out for the best interest of his son, we would really understand. Okay, like he has this moral dilemma, but he's so broken up about his wife and son. because mm-hmm. We know what that relationship is. That we understand why he's still um, seeking vengeance.
0: Yeah, and I think we can put into our our, our own interpretation of why. Because like I'm sure uh, those two characters, his wife and his son. Um, for him represent like that compartment that he is the family man, that he is just a nice human, that he wants, the son, the life he wants his, his sons to have. Yeah. But it's not really textually there. And I think, uh, that's something, uh, having watched it this morning, uh, I did not pick up. So
1: yeah. Or, or, you know, or the idea, you know, when he talks to his, his son about like, this son's like, you think this is my fault. And he's like, no, it's not your fault and he almost gets right up to the point of saying it's my fault. He doesn't say it. But though. he doesn't say it and and he and I think the problem is that that's one of that's one of the flaws of the movie, I think of the story is that Tom Hanks doesn't his character never wrestles with the with the problem of the the my my wife and son's blood
0: is on my hands because I chose a life of crime. I and do think that in that scene you mentioned where he's like it's not your fault. I think it's he knows it's his fault. Yeah. He doesn't go out and say it because I think that's part of his character. It's like he can't admit to it. Yeah. It's almost like uh, – because if he did, how, how has he been doing this this entire time? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's suggested. I mean, but I, I don't – that specific thing I don't see as necessarily a failing of the movie. I see it as an intentional failing of the character. But you're right that it's not fully... Because expl- a, a true tragedy would have been he gets his revenge but then loses his other son. And he lives. Yeah. I mean... And just to throw this in there, a uh, bit of trivia, the actual... The comic book is based on... He dies and... Uh, then the son goes to the old couple, um, just like in the movie, and they're already dead, and then someone kills the son. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't like that ending at all, because it just seems
1: just grim for grim. But. Yeah, I, I like the ending you just described, though, of Tom Hanks living. I mean, I think also, you know, if you look at what is his... Basically, like, what is his character arc? His arc isn't quite as strong as that of his son, right? His son makes the decision not to kill um, the Jude Law character. Yeah. I think that, that also... That felt a little bit weak to me. I, I felt I thought that it was sort of a lost opportunity for the son to have an opportunity to kill Daniel Craig and mm-hmm. not being able to pull the trigger.
0: Yeah, um, that would have been, been, I mean, and Daniel Craig has, he's a much more personal connection anyway.
1: For both characters, they know they know each other, or or even Paul Newman for that matter. Yeah, Uh, I think I think
0: it makes sense that Tom Hanks kills Paul Newman.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I I agree, I agree. But but you know the um, Jude Law character is so subhuman, Mm -hmm. and clearly the kid's life is at stake. I think any rational person would like recognize that the son killing the jude law character is a pretty acceptable like
0: yeah it's like the joker shows up you're gonna kill the joker
1: unless yeah the fucking Batman I mean I'm not I'm not saying that like that like anyone would be able to pull the trigger I'm just saying that like it, it's not as like the 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 question at stake for the son was is he going to pursue this life of crime but the the actual moral dilemma at, at, in the moment was not will I pr- pursue a life of crime and violence or will I pursue uh, you know, a a kind of a, a sober um, uh, moral existence. It was like, am I gonna fucking shoot this crazy psycho? who's yeah. gonna, like, about to kill me. Who am will kill me, no matter what? Yeah, he's like, like he's like the fucking Friday the Thirteenth or
0: something. Yeah, like, you gotta shoot that dude. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That that really kind of de-emphasizes the moral quandary and kind of leaves it a little flatter. Um, I still, I mean, it's still good, it, but yeah. as a story, yeah, it kind of. Breaks apart there at the end. And actually, I wonder if it has to do something with um, the, the central question of the movie and then the question the movie asks being different. Yeah. Because uh, going back to the opening voiceover, the movie, the movie seems to be asking, uh, or it literally asks, is Michael, people ask me, my father, is Michael Sullivan a good man or is there no good in him? and it ends with like, oh, he's just my father. But that doesn't seem to be what the movie's really asking. Well, I think, yeah. Because Central we're not worried is like, is, is Tom Hanks's character good or bad? It's really about the son. I completely agree. I mean, I think that what
1: you described, the conversation between Paul Newman and Tom Hanks in the basement sums up what, what the circumstances are. It's that Tom Hanks' character is, while he has many redeeming qualities, particularly that he's loyal to his family, you know, everyone's fucking loyal to their family. Like, <laughs> you know, it takes, it takes a big person to not be vindictive towards, uh, towards people with whom you don't have a personal connection. And Tom Hanks' character, while he does not delight in, in the suffering other, of others like Jude Law, he's not a psychopath, he is, he is, a, he is amoral. Um, and so Tom Hanks, his sort of moral uh, character is not what you described. It's not the, the subject in question. It's what is going to befall the son. Yeah. And while they do answer that question in an albeit, like, slightly disappointing way.
0: Well, you know, I never touched a gun again. That's a good thing.
1: Yeah. But, but the, the you know, what you were saying about, like, you know, he asks this question at the beginning and the end, like, oh, like, people ask me about my father as a good man. It's like, well, that's not
0: really the... That's not... What is... I mean, it's like, what is the question of this movie? What is, is it the an intentional question? misdirection of the, que- of the movie? Or is it just a, a bad question to ask? I think it was just... A, Honestly, to me, it just feels like a bobble. Like, it just feels like... Because even the the voiceover itself doesn't seem necessary. It isn't. And and I I don't, like... I know voiceover is the easiest thing to shit on, and most of the time it is used poorly. And I I think there's lots of great voiceover that I, I try to defend. But here... It didn't really bring anything to the picture for me. Exactly. I mean, Especially what, with the note that that question was totally.
1: all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I think voiceover is useful in order to underline themes that might not otherwise be apparent to the audience. And in this case, I mean, it seems like it was raising this question that like, it, it, was, it was almost like an in, unintentional misdirect or something. Like it's not, it just seemed, yeah, it's unnecessary. I, I don't think it really added much. Yeah, it, I mean, you know. That being said, it's still like a very satisfying movie. It's mm-hmm. just like those particular points are just, just y- yeah, it's almost there. You know, it's, it's like, so close. It's so cl- it could have been it could have been like an even stronger movie, and yeah. it just it just missed this like the the fundamental like you need I think for a really good story you just need moral dilemma like you need a character to come right up to the brink of making a choice.
0: Um the craft in this film is so good that... You don't notice. You don't notice. And, and I don't want to say that because I feel like that draws a comparison to um, another very popular director who, right now who makes his movies very beautiful. Yeah, and I, I know you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't maybe have any... Drama, substance. No because <laughs> uh, because so, that, that's not what's going on in this movie. I don't think. But, are you talking about S. Wanderson? <laughs> no, no, no. I was going for a, uh, uh Inarritu. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I think you're talking about Wes Anderson. No, Wes Anderson I, is not my favorite director either. But I don't uh, know no if I laid the same criticism. I mean, I like Wes Anderson. His movies are beautiful, but they're completely like superficial. <laughs> like there's just no there's like no substance. He's never worked with Tom Hanks, so I see that's probably why I'm not as familiar with this stuff either. <laughs> <laughs> He's never worked with Tom Hanks. Uh, Inariti, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, yeah, like the guy knows how to make a beautiful image, but none of the images actually say anything about the story we're watching.
1: Yeah, you know that's an interesting question. I, I heard
0: an interview with Harmony Corinne recently. You know Harmony Korine. I uh, Trash Humpers and uh, Spring Breakers. Yeah, another uh, Spring Breakers, a movie I watched and recognized is incredible. Hated it. <laughs> oh, interesting. I still haven't seen it. I gotta check it out. It it will leave an impression on you.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> whether or not you like it or not. So so I heard an interview with him recently uh, where he was talking about um, this idea of um, what is what is the what is the the kind of what is the point of of, of, of watching a movie, right? Like, what is the intention of the director? Mm-hmm. What is the intention of the writer? For some people, it's to tell a very clear story that has sp- a very specific thematic significance. It's trying to tell you, a, give you a lesson, right? It's like an allegory. Yeah. For some people, movies are allegories. For some people, it's simply a matter of relating to the character and finding, um, when you can relate to the character, it, you know, uh, validates something about yourself and there's, there's, there's value in there. Uh, for him, he's like, I just want my movies to give people a feeling and it doesn't need to be a feeling that's um, something that they can easily easily express of mm-hmm. a, 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 like a, a really clear takeaway. This is what the movie's about. I just want to give people a feeling. His comparison was to electronic music versus, say, listening to uh, whatever, like a you know, like Joan Baez song or, or a yeah. pop song, right? Pop, it pops, yeah, pop song's an even better example, right? You listen to um, a song by um, uh, rune 5. This is a song about breakups. This is what this, you know... This is, the, the, the message is very clear.
0: It's tangibly uh, ap- applicable to a specific part of your life. like so, yeah. Oh, I want to listen to a song about breakups because I'm feeling sad. It's a very specific point of view. It mm-hmm. has a thesis.
1: Uh, it's, it's, you don't have to interpret it. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't require a lot of interpretation. There are then, then there are some movies that require additional interpretation but may still have some sort of ther- uh, thesis underneath and then, in case of Harmony Korine, he's just like in electronic music. He just makes a comparison. That I want my movies to give people a feeling the way that certain types of music give mm-hmm. you a feeling. But it's 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 a feeling that um,
0: there's no intellectualization of that feeling. It's just a feeling. And yeah, it's all emotional or, or physical or yeah, which is in the gut. No, and I I love, one of my favorite things is about movies is that a movie can be anything. It doesn't have to have a. a good scripts or anything. I mean, like, it should have a good script if that's what it's doing. If it's a movie more like Spring Breakers, which, while not a movie I personally enjoyed, I recognize as a well-done piece of art. It just wasn't for me. Uh, It completely succeeds in not being, like, a scripted narrative. It's not a narrative thing, despite having some story elements. Yeah, it's interesting that you...
1: It's hard for me to talk about this movie without having seen it, but it's interesting that you would describe Spring Breakers as... A movie that you don't like but recognize the craft. It it took me a while to get to this point. Um, in terms, after many arguments, or after ma-
0: not not as no not necessarily arguments, just just in terms of like, there's been a lot of movies where I know a movie I, I've seen is bad and I won't like like that's a piece of shit. I don't like it. Yeah. and then there's movies where it's like I, I gotta recognize that it's good, but it's just I just it didn't work for me, or, or even if yeah. it did, maybe. It, it evoked a feeling, so I guess it worked. It just was not a positive one. Yeah. Well, I think you raised an interesting
1: point. Um, it's this idea of craft as the ability to, in my mind, craft is the ability to um, translate an idea, what, what the director has in his head or her head, uh, into um, into the work, right? Yeah. So a, a director with impeccable craft has an idea for a film, a very specific idea, and the movie will come to reflect that idea um, almost perfectly. With, with, without craft, you have an idea for a movie, but you can't execute it. So mm-hmm. I think it seems like the point you're driving at is that Harmony Kryn has a strong craft. He has executed on this idea of what he wanted for Spring Breakers. It's simply not the, it's
0: simply not the, um, the idea or the, the kind of movie that you are really interested in watching. But people... Like the greatest chefs in the world can put together the most impeccable sushi dish, ever. Yeah, and I can recognize example. it's insane. I' gonna think it's disgusting.
1: That's a great yeah. That's a great example, right? I mean, um, I, I, and and then if you see, you know, what catches me about Road to Perdition is that I think that it was striving to. Uh, to tell a particular type of story, and, it's
0: so close, to and genuinely. it's so
1: close, but it's through a, through a, a, just a little dimple in the craft that it didn't reach its full potential. Yeah, uh, which is really tough to say because ultimately, it's also a movie that like any director would be that that you know is a once in a lifetime kind of film for would be a once in a lifetime kind of film for anybody. Yeah, um, but we only held Sam Mendes to such a high
0: standard because he's he is like. He's, he's Sam a master. master. I mean, that's like fucking people like going snoozing over Bridge's Spies* this this year. It's insanely good. Spielberg is doing some of his best work he's ever done. But because it's Spielberg, like if this had been any like a, a young director, people would have lost their shit. But it's like we've come to expect master work from these people: from Sam Mendes, yeah. from Spielberg, from Tom Hanks, and here he is giving one of his best performances I think we've ever seen. So good, and I think. Uh, going jumping all the way back to that scene where he's talking about, or we were talking about where they're in the basement and they're talking about how they're all killers, they're all murderers and bad men, they're all going to go to hell. Um, again, just in terms of pure casting, we always like to talk about why you would put Tom Hanks in this movie. When we talked about The Da Vinci Code last time, we were like, "You put, we put Tom Hanks in this movie because." The character of Robert Langdon is pretty flat. There's nothing there. So let's throw in Tom Hanks uh, so he gets a nice paycheck. He looks and like Harrison Ford. I remember that from the book, right? It says he looks like it? Harrison Ford. Yeah. It does not, uh, did not translate. Yeah. But, but you put in Tom Hanks because it's like, oh, there's something like innately yeah. likable about him. Yeah. And you use that to a very specific purpose in this film with uh, the fact that this guy is amoral. He is a cr- killer. He's a bad dude, but Tom Hanks really... Brings that sliver of humanity and yeah. that goodness of the father son relationship yeah. to it, and I do think it's one of his best uh, performances we've ever seen. I I agree, um, and that he even made the Walt Disney
1: mustache work this time. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I didn't I didn't second guess it. I didn't say that is disgusting. I just accepted it, and I was totally cool with to it. I know. Um,
0: and it's pretty bad when you think about it. It's like yeah. it's, it, it could have been the, the fucking hair from The Da Vinci Code, but no, it totally works.
1: <laughs> oh, God. You know, that you bring up another point uh, about this movie that I think is one of its strongest features is um, I don't I, I have not read the script, so I can't speak to whether this is Sam Nendez's work doing or the writer, mm-hmm. since the writer. It finds a way to uh, humanize every character Maybe with the exception of Jude Law, yeah. But even Jude Law, we do understand his psychology. My favorite instance of this is the bouncer in the—he's the, the the bag man or whatever in the in the nightclub. Like he has a, he has that's a fucking juicy role, right? Out of nowhere, like that, yeah, he just makes a whole story for himself. That scene could have been so could so easily have just been. Tom Hanks shows up at this club. He hands over the note. The guy tries to take a shot at him, and Tom Hanks kills him. But instead, we give Kevin Chamberlain. By the way, oh, you have his name. Right I here. thought he
0: was really good, so I wrote yeah. it down.
1: Yeah, he has his moment, and what what the reason why that is so effective is because it's the only. I think it's more than any other moment in the movie is one in which you see like the the true moral depravity of Tom Hanks's of of the character's work is that. He has at one moment this very kind of just like warm moment mm-hmm. with this guy who's clearly not. Who respects him. Yeah, he's like a good. Excited he's to see him. like,
0: you know, for all we know, is like a pretty good guy. Yeah. And, I mean, he wants to be a hitman, yes, but... Well, he I think he wants to be a bodyguard. I guess right? that's true. He I, did say
1: bodyguard. I mean... That it, doesn't
0: involve killing.
1: In, in like, the pantheon of baddies in this movie, <laughs> from Jude Law to Daniel Craig to this guy, this guy's, yeah. this guy's like, one of the nicer guys in the movie. It's true. Every character is a mobster. It, it's, we're grading on a curve here. Yeah. So so he's a pretty nice guy, and, and they found a way to humanize him. I would say even Daniel Craig, right? Daniel Craig's motivations are very relatable, I thought. Like, we can appreciate
0: his jealousy of Tom Hanks. When he leaves with Tom Hanks, uh, and we we just hell hold on that shot of Daniel Craig, and it's a slow push in, and then he's in focus, and then we rack to Tom I mean, and Newman yeah, in the yeah, background, yeah. and they're like, they're, he's got his arm over his shoulder, he's Beautiful. clearly the favored son, quote unquote. Yeah. And then we hold on their focus until they go right behind his head, and we're yeah. back on Daniel Craig. So it's like, it's literally like he's in their head, totally. and it's just burning him up. So that's why he's got to kill him.
1: Yeah, I mean, do they ever? Is there ever a moment in which, um, in which Daniel Craig says like, "I am jealous of Tom Hanks," like Dan- uh, of my father's love? For no, Tom Hanks. it's all, I'm, it's all. For the I camera, swear, it's right?
0: all visual. Yeah, yeah. The, the moment when they're playing
1: the piano, and and the camera pushes onto him, and he smile. He's like holding that smile. It's so
0: fucking hysterical. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's really By the
0: amazing. way, it's maybe the the second best uh, Tom Hanks piano scene we've seen. The second best, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if they had decided to play the,
1: the piano on oh, the floor?
0: I was kind of hoping they were going to play hard and soul.
1: I think, but that's what make, you know, when you were talking about those moments of levity, mm-hmm. that to me makes the movie special because it's not overwrought and it doesn't become melodrama. And it could have so easily become melodramatic and so... Uh, driven by cliche, mm-hmm. um, and yet because it finds those moments where the characters don't take themselves too seriously, you you feel like they're real people. They don't become these these um, caricatures, and that's one of the merits of this movie. Is it never goes for the easy mobster cliche? No, of you know Robert De Niro in uh, in uh, The Untouchables taking out the baseball bat and beating the guy over the head or whatever as as uh,
0: Al Capone. It it felt real. And actually to, to its extreme credit cuz probably the biggest genre of things that just like there's this wall between me and there is monster movies. It's just not something yeah, I usually I get into. I agree. Well,
1: I think the 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 biggest reason why um, why
0: it stands out is because it does not fe- I believe it does not fetishize violence. Mm-hmm. In- no, and in fact uh, you mentioned how brutal the scene with the bounce where he kills the bouncer and the the club owner, I guess. Uh that is like literally the most gory scene in the film and it it's punctual in that way it's not excessive it's, because it's, it's fast. cool. yeah it's, it
1: could have been this like scene where he grabs the gun and then he picks up a mm-hmm. you know a, like a what a, a chair and hits the guy with it could have been an action scene and and he, not, it never plays anything for cheap thrills i mean you often don't see the person getting shot um you know the the violence is is gory but and it's and it's dark and it's not you know, it does not um feel like a gore fest in a kind of way that um uh would appeal to like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah it's not appealing to like Tarantino. a teenage audience. Yeah yeah exactly,
0: right? It, where, where the, it's the violence is but I cartoonish. I think, yeah. exactly. Tarantino violence is cartoonish and over the top to excess for a purpose. So yeah. that way it's Distanced enough from reality that we can enjoy it on a visceral level. Yeah. Uh, this they go realistic with it, so it's punishing when we see this. It's
1: violence. really brutal, and and that that to me I think is why you know I also agree there. And I have a lot of friends who love monster movies. They love all of um, Scorsese's work mm-hmm. and any monster movie they love. And to me, I just don't get into it. And I think it, partly it's because. A lot of the interest in mobster movies is because of uh, uh, lifestyle envy. I think. Yeah. and you know you'll see this even uh, like Scorsese movies have a lot of this. Where like, well, Wall Street, Goodfellas, like there are these kind of montage moments where you are um, you are vicariously enjoying the lifestyle of the mobster, and there is a clear fa- he has a clear fascination
0: with that lifestyle. Yeah, it- to Scorsese's credit, I do think generally speaking, he is criticizing
1: oh of course of course
0: um he is but i think there
1: is still an underline he he appreciates the allure
0: yeah it, it, but it, it's, it's certainly a different level than scarface which is a movie i've never enjoyed oh
1: god yeah can't stand scarface Jesus christ in, in any case uh, i think you know this movie does not um does not romanticize the the life of these criminals no um, unlike a lot of other monster movies and i think to me that's why it's so appealing Let me ask you a question about Tom Hanks. Now, I'm trying to think of... (laughs) You are the sensei. Yes. Uh, I am trying to think of a movie... In my mind, I can't think of anything that he has done um, in the indie world. um, Which is interesting, because most, even big actors will explore that. Yeah. Um, And I also can't... Nothing comes to mind of a film he's done, uh, like a hyper-stylized movie in which you know you see say breaking of the fourth wall mm-hmm. or they tend to take themselves somewhat seriously right
0: exceptions being like the burbs is almost the burbs is satire the one the mo- the other tom hanks movie i'm thinking that it has the most in common with in terms of how i feel about it is actually going to be the burbs Oh, interesting. And uh, that is a little tease for an upcoming episode. I don't want to get ah. into it now. Obviously, there's been so much to say about this movie. It is great, despite the fact that it maybe doesn't quite hit home. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, god damn it, you're doing it wrong. But check it out again. It's absolutely worth your time. Um, and uh, Henry, thank you so much for being on oh, the show. My, it, thank you for having me. It's been a delight. It's been, it's been a thrill talking with you. You're great. Maybe we'll have to have you back on. Thank you. Uh, Check out BuzzFeed Yellow when you're a couple with trust issues or go to BuzzFeed.com slash Henry Lovner and... uh, watch all of his videos; they're all fucking great.
1: Can we read one comment from this? Yeah. Uh, I, I just there's so many horrible comments.
0: YouTube comments are, are I the fucking worst.
1: love. You should just do a podcast about YouTube comments. I'm
0: sure there's already like nine. Oh yeah,
1: it's kind of bothering me a lot that there isn't a fitted sheet on the bed. There's a
0: lot of people who commented yeah, about the I fitted know, sheet. like
1: there was a sheet. It just gets knocked off in the process of their wrestling, and people just freaked out. It's like that's people. YouTube comments are so insane. That's a weird thing for someone to freak out about. It's also interesting because like I recognize YouTube comments are insane but a lot of people that we work with are like, well, the comments said this out of the video, so next time when I make a video, I'm going to do this. It's like, no, people are morons. Don't listen to those commenters.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's like the smallest vocal fraction of yeah. the viewers anyway. And yeah, like <sighs> Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for pre- going to be the <laughs> Republican Party's nominee for president. Like, let's not give too much stock to the <laughs> you know White mean? People. So check out the video. Check out the comments. Uh, check out all his stuff. Uh, do you, do you have a social media? Where can people find you? Any? Or do you not uh, want the attention? I don't really have any social media. <laughs> all right, you can't find Henry. Check out his videos though. You can watch my videos. If you're in that <laughs> um, but you can follow me at Elvis Koonish uh, everywhere. I'm a whore for social media. That's good. And uh, if you want, uh, of course, to follow the show at Tom Hanks Pod. If you're following it, you knew that we changed the schedule up this week, uh, which is why we're going to be doing the Great Buck Howard next week. Um, that'll be our next show, so come back for that. Uh, I haven't asked for... We're going long. I haven't asked for a review or a rate or anything uh, on iTunes in a while. So do that. That'd be great. And if you have a... If you just, just tell a friend about the show. And if you don't have any friends, you've got a friend in me. That's all <laughs> for this week. Thanks for listening. Tom Hanks, we fell in love with you. Tom Hanks, just like so many do, deeply... Because you made a smile, and you're great on screen style, so that's why we give thanks. Cause you've got a friend in Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, Tom
1: Hanks. Hanks. We should watch Larry Crown. I haven't seen it, but
0: it looks terrible. (laughs) It does! (laughs)